Okay, good evening. We are in lesson number 64 tonight. Uh, lesson number 64. And uh, if you just want to follow along in the Bible, we'll be in John chapter 10. Uh, just continuing on in our Life of Christ series. Uh, we've, been, we've been in the book of John really the past three or four lessons. And so we're going to be again still in John. Uh, but this time in chapter 10 here tonight. And uh, of course, uh, Sunday morning, sort of to review where we were. Uh, Sunday morning, we uh, looked at basically all of John chapter 9 uh, with this, uh, this story of uh, Jesus healing a blind man. Uh, if you recall, uh, this man was blind from birth. He had just been sitting you know, along the roadside as Jesus and his disciples make their way by him. And we sort of focused in on all of the different groups of uh, individuals that we saw in that story and noticed uh, sort of their uh, spiritual eyesight. Uh, and, sort of, and again, it was a pretty ironic lesson that the man who was born blind was the one who could truly see Jesus while everyone else had some problems. They had, they had some uh, things that were uh, in their way, not able to see uh, Jesus and who he was. And uh, their, their vision was cloudy. It was blurry. Uh, we, we first saw the disciples. Remember the disciples? They noticed the man there blind. And they asked Jesus, uh, who sinned uh, in order for this man to become blind? Was it he or his parents? You know, that's what they wanted to know. And Jesus had to explain to them that uh, it was neither him nor his parents that caused this blindness. But really... Uh, what he said was that he was going to use this opportunity to glorify God. And he was going to use this opportunity to uh, miraculously heal this man uh, of his blindness, to show others, again, that he was the Christ. Uh, after he was uh, cured of his blindness, we, we saw the, the, the neighbors of this man, the people who lived around this man, they were in shock. Uh, some of them didn't necessarily think that that was the, the, the blind man. And some people said, yes, it was. And uh, we kind of focused in on that they couldn't get past the man's past. Right? They, they couldn't see beyond that. They were just so focused on the man's past and who he was uh, that they didn't, weren't necessarily uh, happy for him. Really, nobody uh, besides you know, Jesus and the blind man really show uh, any excitement or happiness about this being performed, this miracle being performed. Uh, the Pharisees come in next, and of course, they're blinded spiritually by this miracle because uh, they're concerned. Uh, be, they're too concerned about Jesus performing this miracle on the Sabbath. Right, here we go again. Jesus performs a miracle on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are all up in arms. Uh, he's performing a work on the Sabbath day, and uh, this man can't be from God because he's doing these things on the Sabbath. And so... Again, the Pharisees should have been excited. They should have been happy for this man to receive his sight back. But again, they are focusing in on you know, their rules, their personal uh, man-made rules being broken. And then we saw the parents, the parents of this man who was born blind. And you know, they were uh, held back because of fear. Right? Do you remember why they were, be why they were so fearful Okay, yes. They were in fear that they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue if they were going to um, attribute this miracle to Jesus. You know, the Pharisees had already said, 
You know, if you proclaim this man to be the Christ, if you proclaim uh, these great things about him, then we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. And so the parents of this blind man, uh, when they were being interviewed, they said, listen, you go and talk to him. He's of age. He's old enough to uh, make his own decisions. So we don't want anything a part of it. And, you know, we really focused in on that as, you know, today we uh, know that there are a lot who uh, may be in fear of their faith as well, of stepping up for Jesus or stepping out there for Jesus. But again, it was the blind man, ironically, who saw Jesus. And you can see that progression throughout that lesson. You know, we, we first see him affirming that Jesus was a prophet of God. And then he was implying later on when talking to the Pharisees that he was a disciple of Jesus now. Uh, he refers to him as a man of God in verse 33. And then finally, you know, he proclaimed him to be the son of God. And so uh, we see the progression with the man who was born blind, uh, accepting Jesus as uh, the son of man, as the son of God. And you really that whole lesson in John chapter nine is a reminder for us that we need to keep our spiritual glasses on at all times. We need to keep our minds on the things of Christ, the things of heaven, and because there are going to be opportunities that come our way. And, you know, we might miss those opportunities to help lead someone to Christ or or help uh, in a good work or something if we're not always thinking uh, about heaven and about God and and those things. And so um, we're going to miss those things if we don't keep our spiritual glasses on. And so we're moving into John chapter 10 uh, this evening. This is sort of a continuation of the account in John chapter 9. Well, we'll notice here in verse 21 of John chapter 10 that he's going to mention uh, the blind man again. So this is pretty much the same day. This is the same um, uh, dialogue that's going back and forth. Um, But Jesus is going to give another uh, teaching. He's going to bring up another Uh, great teaching. Again, we're probably very familiar with this text, and so uh, we're going to notice these things. We're going to notice that the Pharisees and Jesus are going to be contrasted here in John chapter 10 as being uh, shepherds of the people. And we're also going to notice that the Pharisees and the blind men are going to be contrasted as to those who accept Jesus's message. Uh, We've all heard uh, you know, this declaration that Jesus is the good shepherd, right? Jesus is the good shepherd. And what makes Christ the good shepherd? Well, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But what passage, uh, I'll give you a, a little bit of a hint. In the Old Testament, do we often go to when we speak of John chapter 10 of being the good shepherd? Okay, yes, very good. So Psalm 23. Of course, this is... The Shepherd Psalm, uh, David Psalm. Uh, I have never heard a sermon preached out of John chapter 10 that doesn't uh, reference Psalm 23. Uh, obviously, this is a psalm that is often uh, read at funerals. Uh, again, it's uh, very uh, similar to uh, John chapter 10. Uh, notice this is David speaking as if he is one of the sheep. You know, David, of course, is King David. Uh, He's the king of Israel, right? But uh, he is speaking here as if he is one of the sheep. And so, again, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, again, uh, such a beautiful psalm and very well known. And it just fits right in here with John chapter 10 and what we're going to be uh, looking at. The, the shepherd, right? That, that's such intimate language to think of. Uh, our Lord as a shepherd. You know, the Bible describes, uh, you know, God or Jesus as a rock and as a savior and as a shield. But it's the shepherd that really, you know, hopefully brings that home to us of uh, his nature and what he wants for his children. And, you know, it's not an inanimate object, but uh, it's someone who cares for us. And we'll talk a little bit more about what it means to be a shepherd. But John, he continues the Gospel of John. Uh, I know a lot of people love the Gospel of John uh, because of this. You know, it's different from the other three Gospel accounts. And he continues to paint these amazing pictures of who Jesus is. Again, we saw in John chapter 6, that first I am statement, I am the bread of life. Jesus is that bread. He's that spiritual nourishment that we need. And then uh, about a week ago, we talked about how Jesus was the light of the world. Again, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He is that light uh, that we need to focus in on. Well, tonight, we're going to get two more I am statements uh, from Jesus. Uh, number three and number four are within John chapter 10. And we'll notice here that he'll say in verse 7 that I am the door of the sheep. And then in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And again, remember when he's using that phrase I am, it's in reference to his deity. Right? He's proclaiming uh, that he is the great I am. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. So let's go ahead and start reading, and we'll go through this little bit, by, little bit by um, a little bit. And so we'll start in verse one, John chapter ten. John records, "Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens." And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things which were he had been saying to them. So to really grasp... Uh, you know, this lesson here tonight, we need to understand some things about what it meant to take care of sheep in Christ's uh, day. Does anyone here have experience raising sheep? No? Nobody? Not even Jimmy? No? Okay. I'm shocked. I thought there were going to be a lot of people here tonight who would uh, raise their hand and say they've experienced this. And, uh, but uh, there's a big difference between what we know about uh, sheep herding in you know, Western culture uh, you know, in the United States versus uh, what we read of here in you know, Middle, East, Middle Eastern culture. Uh, you know, what do we think about when we think about how they herd sheep uh, here in the United States or you know, again in the Western culture? 
Is there really an intimate relationship between the, the sheep herder, the shepherd, and the sheep in, in this culture, like here in the United States? Yeah, we, they, they'll usually might have a sheepdog, right, a sheepdog, and kind of just, you know, let that dog go loose and kind of push the sheep out towards uh, the areas uh, to start grazing and such. Uh, that's not what we read about here uh, in John chapter 10 about how uh, they kept... Or they took care of the sheep in Jesus' culture. You know, um, that verse that we read there uh, in verse 3, uh, when he calls the sheep by name and he leads them out. Right? The shepherd is going to lead the sheep out of the sheep um, hold, and the sheep are going to follow the shepherd. Right? The shepherd is not pushing them out, sort of like we know, as we know, but he's going to simply walk, and the sheep are going to follow him. Uh, now, what is the nature of sheep? Are they intelligent animals? No, they're not, are they? They need a lot of care. They need a lot of instruction. Uh, you know, it's sort of an insult today to call people sheep, isn't it? Uh, if we were to, uh, you know, a lot of people will... Especially in the political world, you know, they'll try to uh, get you by, you know, referring you as a sheep, you know, someone who is following somebody. Uh, but, but we want to be sheep, right? The, we want to be uh, sheep because Jesus is the good shepherd. And so uh, as I read here in verses 1 through 6, what were the two main workers that we read about uh, in that dialogue? The Okay. Okay, so the shepherd and the doorkeeper. The shepherd and the doorkeeper. Now, let's think about the shepherd first. Uh, the shepherd, by day, he has his responsibilities. Uh, you know, think of Psalm 23 that we just read. Uh, what are some of the responsibilities of the shepherd? Okay, protection. Okay, so if we're leaning back to Psalm 23, we remember those verses. He, he leads me beside the quiet waters. Uh, he leads me to green pastures. Uh, your rod and your staff uh, protect me. Right? There's, uh, there's the shepherd is leading them to uh, food, uh, the nourishment, the green fields. He's leading them to the water. He's guiding and protecting them uh, with your staff and rod right? that, that uh, David refers to. Of course, David was a shepherd, wasn't he? And so he knew all of the imagery uh, of what a shepherd did uh, with his, his rod, which maybe he used for protection, and his, uh, his, uh, his staff. Uh, maybe we'd think of it as a shepherd's pole to maybe guide a sheep that was going astray to pull them back into the area. But uh, the shepherd has to protect the, the, the flock, right? There, there's going to be predators uh, there could be some poisonous uh, type of plants that he doesn't want the sheep to eat. Uh, there's going to be dangerous terrain, right? This is, this is Israel. This is Palestine. Uh, there's mountainy. Uh, there's dangerous terrain. And so he's got to keep his eye on that. He needs... Are, are sheep skittish? Yeah, they are, aren't they? So the shepherd's got to ease, uh, ease their anxieties. He's got to relax them, uh, keep them at ease. Uh, you remember in Psalm 23 where David says he anoints, or he says, you know, he anoints my head with oil. Do you know what that's in reference to? Okay, yeah. So uh, they would, you know, 
place oil or some sort on the sheep's head to keep the, you know, the insects uh, away from uh, the sheep. And so uh, there, there's an aspect of what the shepherd does as well. Uh, he picks them up if they fall over. The sheep fall over from time to time. They do. And you know, I was just reading in a book today. There's, there's a really neat book that I have in my office. Um, he's not a member of the church, but uh, he uh, used to be a sheep herder, I think in Australia. And, uh, and then he became a theologian. But he has some uh, good I- insight as to uh, the imagery between you know, Psalm 23 and John chapter 10 and what it meant to be a, uh, a, a, a shepherd. Uh, w. Philip Keller, I think his name was. And he talked about how the sheep, uh, sometimes they roll over and they can't get back up. And that's dangerous, number one, because uh, they're susceptible to prey, you know, a, an eagle or something might swoop down and get them or uh, whatever. They just can't get up by themselves. Or number two, uh, when they fall over on their backs and they're struggling to get up, uh, they can actually die by uh, the, the gases in their bodies getting trapped and, um, and, you know, killing them from the inside internally. So it was very dangerous for a sheep to fall over. And so the shepherd had to make sure that uh, if they fell over for whatever reason, he was there to pick them up. Uh, the shepherd makes sure they're accounted for, right? How many scriptures uh, do we see in the New Testament about, you know, about the 99 and uh, the one that's missing? Right? That one is extremely valuable to the shepherd. Uh, but we also understand that some sheep tend to wander off from time to time. He names them, doesn't he? He knows them by name, it says here in John chapter 10. That's how intimate of a relationship the shepherd has with the sheep. He knows them by name. Uh, Steve Higginbotham, who was one of my teachers uh, at preaching school, he, uh, he said something about uh, this uh, verse here that I've always remembered. He said, you know, we, we love to sing that song with the children, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, you know that song? Uh, but he says that sometimes we should think of it as Jesus knows me, this I love. Uh, that's how intimate a relationship uh, the, the shepherd has with the sheep. Uh, he knows the sheep. And, you know, also sometimes sheep need to be disciplined. Again, from that book uh, that I was reading from, there's, some sheep are a little bit more aggressive than others and can, uh, you know, get uh, under the skin of some of the other sheep. And sometimes the shepherd needs to discipline uh, that sheep, unruly sheep. And so that's, some of the, that's a lot, you know, of duties that a shepherd has to do uh, throughout the day as he's protecting and taking care of this flock. But also uh, at night, you know, he, what he's going to do is he's going to bring those sheep into that, into that sheepfold, right? He's going to bring them out of the field and bring them into that sheepfold. And, you know, this is just, obviously, it's a roofless structure uh, built out of usually, um, you know, rock or hedge bushes or whatever. You know, it's circular in nature, and there's that one door. And sometimes uh, that door is provided by the, the doorkeeper himself. You know, he's that door. He's that individual that uh, guards that door. And so, uh, again, many, most shepherds, uh, they are truly concerned about their sheep, right? They're, they're truly concerned. Uh, but we're going to also notice here in these verses that, you know, maybe some of them are only interested in the pay, right? Because when danger comes, what do they do? 
they run, don't they? They, they scatter. And so we'll see those, uh, those verses here in a, in a moment. So that's the shepherd. And then the second individual we have in this account is the doorkeeper. Again, this is the person that's going to watch the gate at night. Uh, he's going to be the one that's going to open that gate and l- let the sheep out and let the shepherd uh, bring his sheep out uh, each morning. Again, that's a very important job uh, because he's the one that's going to be responsible for the sheep at night, for uh, any sort of animal to uh, j- maybe try to jump in and uh, get to the sheep or, or a stranger or a robber. And uh, so, again, another uh, very important aspect is the doorkeeper. So let, let's notice what Jesus has to say here in verses 7 through 10. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus doesn't say he's the doorkeeper, but he says he is what? He's the door, right? He is the door of the sheep. Uh, What does he mean by that? He's all the way in. Okay, he's the only entrance. You know, we we have a building like this. How many entrances are here in this uh, building? If you think top floor, bottom floor. (laughs) Yeah, there's quite a many, right? Um, do you feel secure about that? Yeah, as much as we can be, right? We, we uh, are pretty sure that all the doors are locked. I mean, I'm sure they are. We, you know, we'll lock the doors here for services as well. Or when we go home at night, we'll keep them locked. But what if this building only had one entrance? Would we feel even more secure? We would, wouldn't we? If there was only one entrance into this building and we knew where that entrance was and we knew that if anyone was going to come into the building, uh, that it had to be through that entrance, we'd feel secure about that, right? And so Jesus is, as he refers to, I am the door. He is the only entrance, right? And he is the only entrance, he says, to the pasture for those to come in and out. He's also uh, the door of the sheep. It says that Jesus is the voice that needs to be heard. If a stranger comes to that sheepfold and tries to call out the sheep, are they going to listen to that stranger? They're not, right? They're not going to. They don't recognize that voice of the stranger. They only recognize the voice of the shepherd. Again, Jesus is the only entrance into that sheepfold. Uh, He's the only way to true safety and security. And again, as he mentions here, thieves only come to steal and kill and to destroy. But Jesus says in verse 10, he says something interesting there. He says, uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does he mean by having an abundant life? That word abundantly, it, uh, you know, just, uh, it just simply means uh, to be more, to be greater, to be more than anticipated. So how can Jesus 
If he, is our, if he is that door and he wants to give life, how can he give a more abundant life? Make sure they've got plenty of food. Make sure they're protected. Okay. There are blessings to following Jesus, right? There are blessings. The peace that he offers, the hope that he offers, the meaningful work that we have in his kingdom... Uh, helping others, you know, all of these things make the Christian life more abundant than life outside of Christ, right? We have meaning to our life, and we know what that meaning is, and that's what he wants. He wants his, or those, uh, his sheep to have a life, but not only to have life, but to have it abundantly, right? And so, um, what do you think about, uh, again, we don't know if the, the man who was born blind is necessarily right here listening to this, but remember, in the last chapter, he was just kicked out of the synagogue, right? He was just kicked out, and uh, they're not going to let him back through those doors to the synagogue. So how do you think he feels now that he hears that Jesus is the door of the sheep? You think that's comforting to him? The one door is closed. He can't get back in the synagogue, but Jesus saying he is the door, right? that, that, uh, that to salvation, to, to be a, a son of God is not through you know, those synagogue doors, but they're through Jesus. Right? Jesus is the door. And so, uh, you know, again, was the blind man there listening to it? Don't know, but uh, the, if he was, that would probably be pretty comforting uh, to him. Uh, let's look at verses 11 through 16. Now he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, uh, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own. And my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So again, here's uh, this. That second I am statement of this chapter, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. And we really, um, you know, we've really covered really what that means uh, but he, he again tells us here that uh, the sheep hear his voice, that he leads that sh- those sheep. Uh, again, they follow him. He protects them when the wolf comes. Right? Uh, Jesus used the example of a wolf coming, and he's going to protect them. He's going to lay down his life for them. He's willing to die for them. Uh, and also, interestingly enough, in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. What's he talking about there? Okay, well, yeah, in, in a nutshell, he's talking about you and I, right? Uh, we're not uh, Jews. Uh, but Jesus, uh, again, he's talking to the Jews uh, because that's his mission right now, right, is to go to the house of Israel, to convert Jews, uh, to prepare them for the coming uh, kingdom. And he says, I have other sheep. And again, he's referencing the Gentile nation. Uh, I have other sheep uh, that are not, 
which are not of this fold, but I must bring them also so that they hear my voice. So, yes, he, he's referring to Gentiles. He's referring to uh, non-Jewish people. And this, again, is how much Jesus loves us, that uh, we are his sheep. And, you know, again, here's the contrast that he's making between him and the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees think they're the shepherds of the people, really. They... they uh, are the religious leaders of the day. They're the ones that believe they have all the knowledge, that, they, that people should be listening to them. And the Pharisees would have thought that they were the shepherds. But Jesus uh, is saying, is really, he's referring to them as thieves and robbers. And um, these are those individuals that are not going through the door. Right? They're, they're going uh, over the wall. They're trying to get in a different way. They're not going through Jesus. And uh, instead of caring for the sheep, instead of uh, protecting for the sheep, uh, they're only really, again, worried uh, about their livelihood and, and their own safety, right? Because what does Jesus say there? If, uh, if a wolf comes or some sort of danger comes their way, what will those Pharisees tend to do? They'll tend to... Run, right? Get out of there. Right? Those sheep aren't, they're not willing to lay down their life for the sheep like Jesus would, being the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows his sheep and they know him. And that's important. I remember in First uh, Peter chapter 5, Jesus uh, refers, or excuse me, Peter refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. Uh, who in the New Testament do uh, our does the, the scriptures refer to as shepherds? Jesus. Well, other than Jesus. What is the, the term shepherd another term for in the New Testament? Overseers, right. Over, uh, Sorry? David? No. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, another. Uh, so the, the New Testament refers to uh, shepherds as, well, some of our translations don't translate it shepherds, but it translates it pastors. But it's the same, same word uh, interchangeably. Uh, but, right. The, yeah, the elders of the church are referenced as shepherds. Again, Peter says Jesus is the chief shepherd. But scripture refers to elders of a congregation as being shepherds. They, they shepherd a congregation. And, you know, we can make that a connection with what Jesus is saying here with, you know, an eldership as well. Is they need to know the sheep and the sheep need to know uh, them. Right. Uh, would a congregation put uh, men before them as elders who they've only known for a couple of weeks? Probably wouldn't make a lot of sense, would it? Because they don't know the congregation and the congregation doesn't know them. I've mentioned this before, but there's a really uh, neat book uh, title uh, about elder, or being an elder, and it's called uh, Do You Smell Like Sheep? And really, you know, again, the reference is, is if you're going to be an elder in a congregation, you know, you need to smell like a, a sheep. You need to be involved with the sheep. You need to be in their lives and, and know them and be around them. And uh, again, uh, you know, that, there's that reference there. But really, uh, <clears throat> what Jesus is talking about here, uh, again, is not in, in 
reference to the eldership, but he's talking about him being the good shepherd, uh, that he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Uh, David was a, not a capital G good shepherd, but uh, a lowercase g good shepherd uh, we see in scripture. Uh, do you remember what two things he defended his flock from? Not wolves. There was, there was, he says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34, that uh, he defended uh, his, his father's flock against a lion and a bear. Right? Those are two pretty aggressive uh, animals that David stood up to to protect the sheep. Right? He, he was a good shepherd in that sense, uh, that he took on a lion and a bear. But again, a hired hand, Jesus says, will simply run away. Right? They have nothing invested in the sheep. Uh, you know, we, we see that a lot today. I know we're quickly running out of time, but uh, we see a lot of that today in the fact that, you know, we see a lot of outsourcing of stuff going on, right? Uh, a lot of companies will outsource uh, uh, things, and, and those people who are kind of put in place, do they necessarily have a vested interest maybe in the company? Uh, they don't work for the company, but they're doing some of the work for the company, if you will. Uh, again, I, I don't know if I necessarily have time, but that's kind of was one of my roles uh, back in uh, Michigan when I was an accountant in a school district where uh, I would go and do perform accounting services for other school districts. I wasn't employed by the school districts, but they contracted to have me go in and you know, uh, do their financials for them. Uh, do you think I was invested necessarily in their, uh, their school districts and in their um, you know, success? Not necessarily, right? Because I had my own job. And, uh, and so, that, again, these, uh, these shepherds, that, the Pharisees, these shepherds, really, as Jesus mentions, uh, they had no vested interest. Uh, we'll finish up with verses 17 through 21 Sunday morning, and then we move into Luke chapter 10. If you'd like to start reading ahead, Luke chapter 10.